Um, before we get started, I'm going to tell a joke because it has to do with what we're talking about. That's not really the reason I'm telling a joke. I tell a joke because it helps me to relax. Is that okay? So I'm going to tell a blonde joke, and hopefully I'll get it right. Y'all are already laughing. Okay, so there was a blonde driver that gets stopped by a blonde cop for speeding. And so the cop pulls her over, and she says, hey, you were speeding. I need to see your driver's license. And so the blonde, she's looking through her purse, and she's like, I can't seem to find it. And the blonde cop says, well, it's got your picture on it. So she's digging, digging, and she finds a mirror. And she pulls it up, and she looks at it, and she says, oh, here it is. And she hands it to the blonde cop. And the blonde cop looks at it, and she says, if, if I would have known you were a police officer, I wouldn't have even pulled you over. <laughs> Oh, praise God. Well, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you are here. Your Holy Spirit's here. You are our teacher. Father, I thank you that our hearts are open to receive this morning. And Lord, I just ask for revelation knowledge to come forth. Father, in the words that we speak today and how we communicate with one another, Lord, I just thank you that Jesus is glorified in all of this. Lord, give us revelation, give us knowledge of what you're trying to deposit on the inside of us, what you're trying to bring out of us, Lord God, that we can understand. And we just thank you and we give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I just want to summarize kind of like the big picture of what we've been talking about. This is the last class, I believe. So... We've been talking about the kingdom and the idea of, of living in this kingdom. And while we're here on this earth, we still are living in the kingdom of God. Amen. And so we're talking about God's original intent that we live in this kingdom, this domain of a king. We're not like in this uh, democracy, but we're living under the directive of the king. And when God put us in this kingdom, he gave us identity. We saw how God blessed us. He gave us an identity. He said, let us create man in our image and likeness and let them have dominion. He blessed them. He gave us dominion to rule, to dominate. He gave us purpose to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish and subdue the earth. And so we are rulers in God's kingdom, but God is the king and we are under him. Uh, and then we talked about the fall of man and how we lost our identity. We lost our, our purpose, our authority on, here on the earth, and how throughout history, man has tried to exercise that authority and find his purpose outside of God's kingdom. And now, through the new birth, which is the only way that we get into God's kingdom, uh, we are now citizens of a higher kingdom, and we are to live into submission to our king, Jesus. And that submission um, is, it's, it's like the kingdom, it's like a kingdom, but God doesn't want us to be servants. He, he wanted sons, he wanted daughters. And so we're supposed to be living out of a relationship with the king, amen. Um, and then Pastor Jackson talked about how we are to track the world to God's kingdom. And then we learned last week how every culture uh, identifies the way we should live and how we should connect the things that we allow or reject in our lives and how um, the, the king would send a governor to, to teach the people and how the Holy Spirit is our governor, um, that he is to teach us and to lead us and to guide us into all truth. And so um, we also talked about how we should live with a God inside mindset. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And how God just, he sent us Holy Spirit 
uh, to extend his presence and his influence to extend that kingdom here on this earth. Amen. And how the Holy Spirit is to teach us about the word, which is our constitution. It gives us our rights. Um, and so now we're going to talk about righteousness and what that means and how that plays out in our everyday lives. Uh, so Matthew 6, it says, but we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us. Um, so uh, coming out of that book, it says, if we have rights as citizens to the wealth of the kingdom, we can only access these rights by following the directive of the king. If we are not in right standing with the king, how can we claim the privileges of the kingdom? Without knowing and comprehending what righteousness is, although we are in the kingdom, we could still miss out on the kingdom blessing. So the question that we're asking is, we're going to look at what is righteousness? Why is it important for us to understand it's his righteousness? Um, why does God want righteousness from us? And the origin and meaning of the word Christian, the benefits of righteousness, and the characteristics of a righteous person. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to go point by point, but all of these they just co-mingle with each other. You can't talk about one without talking about another. So um, we're just going to talk about the big picture of how God wants us living from this new identity of who we are in Christ. And righteousness is, is what gives us the access to have fellowship with the Father, that gives us access into our rights as citizens of his kingdom. So Righteousness, so the kingdom reflects, a kingdom reflects the nature and the character of the king. So the king's righteousness flows from him to the citizens of the kingdom. It's his righteousness. And this is very important for us to understand. Um, you can write this down just for notes. And I'm going to give a lot of scriptures, but we're not going to turn to all of them or we'd be here all morning. So Strong's 1343, I'm going to try to say it. No, I'm not. Daike Hasune. <laughs> okay, so Strong's 1343. It's the state of him who is such as he ought to be, the condition acceptable to God. Uh, it's, it's those who are upright, who are conforming to God's law. Now, in Vine's expository, let me just read this. It says, um, it is the gracious gift of God to men whereby all who believe on the Lord Jesus are brought into right relationship with God. This righteousness is unattainable by obedience to any law or by any merit of, of man's own or by any other condition other than faith in Christ. Amen? Okay, the man who trusts in Christ becomes the righteousness of God in him. He becomes in Christ all that God requires a man to be, all that he could never be in himself. If you look up Easton's Dictionary and you look up righteousness, it says justification because they're the same. Uh, it's a forensic term. It's opposed to condemnation. So justification is the opposite of condemnation. It's the judicial act by which God pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ. He accounts, accepts, and treats them as righteous in the eyes of the law. It, he treats them as though they conform to all of the law's demands. 
And in addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law have been satisfied. It is the act of a judge and not as a sovereign. The law is not relaxed or set aside. It is declared to be fulfilled in the strictest sense. And so the person who is justified is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and rewards arising from perfect obedience to the law. Thank you, Lord. I love this. And this is so important for us to see because, guys, if we don't understand that it's the king's righteousness, it's God's righteousness, then we will try to earn favor with God. We will try to merit favor with God. We will try to follow the law in our own strength. And how many of you know we can't, we can't do it? Amen. So it's important for us to understand because if we don't understand that we have been made righteous, then we will try to earn God's favor, God's approval, um, and we can do it good for a while, but then we fail and we come under condemnation. And guys, if you don't understand that you have been made the very righteousness of God, not only will your heart condemn you, people will condemn you. The enemy will condemn you. Your own heart condemns you, but everything around you, I mean, as we grow in our relationship with God, we realize how much more we don't know and how much unholier our flesh really is. Amen. I mean, the more that I've grown in relationship with God, the more I realize, man, he's really, really holy and he really requires a lot. And guys, it's not that we don't want to fulfill the law. It's not that we don't, we don't want to live good. Anybody that's born again, we want to live for God. Amen. We want to live for God. But if we try to become something that we don't think we are, we're just going to be straining and trying and and you're not going to have the boldness to enter into his presence. You're not going to have the confidence to, to stand in front of people like, like I am today. The only reason that I'm here in front of you is because I know that I have been made right with God. He, he loves me. He accepts me for who I am. I'm accepted in him. Amen. And in Romans 10, 1 through 4, you can write this down. It says, Paul is writing, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. In other words, they love God. They're on fire for God. But it's not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness or how God makes a man right with himself. They're ignorant, they're ignorant of that. And so they're going around trying to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all of us who believe. So if we don't understand that it's God, it's Jesus' work that has made you and I okay with God. It's God in his love for us that gave us Jesus Christ and he has become our very righteousness. Then we're going to go around trying to decide what does righteousness look like. Amen. Does that make sense? Praise God. I love uh, E.W. Kenyon. Uh, Pastor Tondrai had given us a couple of materials in the back, and I just really encourage you to look at those books because it really opened my eyes to uh, just more of an in-depth understanding of righteousness and how righteousness, E.W. Kenyon said, it's the ability to stand in God's presence without any sense of guilt, 
condemnation, fear, shame. And that's how the Father wants us to see ourselves. Amen. So let's turn real quickly to Romans 5, 18 and 19. So it says, therefore, as through one man's offense, and I'm going to go quickly, guys. Listen, I, I had 15 pages of notes yesterday. <laughs> and I told, I told Scott, I said, I just got to get them down to two. And I worked really, really hard, and I took off two. <laughs> so we're going to hurry, but um, my notes are always available to anybody that says, hey, I didn't catch that. I'll send you my notes. Um, but I'm going to go quickly if that's okay, because we have a lot to cover. So Romans 5, 18 through 19 says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, you many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. So guys, it's really important that you and I understand it was Adam's sin that made us a sinner. It was Adam's sin that made us a sinner. We're not sinners because we sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we were born into sin. We sin because we were born into Adam. And so by nature, we couldn't do anything but sin. Amen. And so if you don't understand that it was Adam's sin that made you a sinner, you won't understand that it was Christ's righteousness that made you righteous. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So at the cross, Jesus became everything that you and I had become. We, we, we sinned. We lost our image. We were cut off from God. We were cut off from love. And we became so unlike what God had created us to be. That's why the Bible says when Jesus was on the cross, he was marred more than any man. He didn't even look human because you and I, sin had taken us so far from what God had created us to be. We didn't look human. We didn't bear the image of God. So Jesus became everything that you and I were so that we can become everything that he is. Isn't that good news? That's awesome. So if we don't understand, and guys, righteousness needs to, we need to pray that God would open our eyes to righteousness because it's not something that's like a secondary thing. It's not like, oh, well, you know, God forgave my sin and he sees me as righteous, but now I've got to do, 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 do. No, we have become in our spirits the very righteousness of God. In your spirit, you will never be any more righteous than you are right now. In your spirit, okay? If we don't understand this identity, it needs to become a revelation so much that this is who I am. Say, this is who I am. This is who I am. If you don't understand your identity, life is going to speak louder than the truth. Circumstances will be speaking to you louder than the truth. And we will gain our identity from what the past tells, we, tells us we are, our experience tells us we are, people tells us we are, and that will become our identity, not who God says we, we are. Amen? So 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God. So when we are talking about who we are in Christ, and I forgot your name, I'm sorry, but last week he taught, what is your name? Daniel! God is his judge. I know that because my name's Dana, and so it's the feminine of Daniel, and it means God is my judge. Anyway, so he talked about it last week, spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit being. We have a soul, and we live in a body. And guys, if we really want to know who we are, we got to be like that blonde. Do you guys want to be like that blonde? You guys missed it. But we want to be like that blonde. We want to take that mirror of God's word, and we want to look at it, and we want to trust what the word says we are. See, when we look at a mirror, we're not really seeing our face. I mean, you and I can't look at our face to see what we look like. If we want to know what we look like, what do we do? We look in the mirror. If you and I want to see who we are, what we look like, we are to look in the mirror of God's word. And the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you uh, sub present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And don't be conformed. Don't be poured into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we've got to continually look in the word to tell us who we are. Um, so I have a granddaughter. I always say I, it's we. We have a granddaughter. She's three. She's beautiful, red hair, sassy, really sensitive heart. I just love her so much. But so something happened in their life this week. Daddy broke his, well, he actually pulled, tore his Achilles tendon. So he's going to have to have surgery. So her whole world is turned upside down. Nothing is, I mean, daddy took her to the park. Daddy did this. Daddy played. And she's just been acting kind of out of sorts. And my daughter called me, and she's like, I don't know what to do. She's just weepy. She's crying. Her emotions are all over the place. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, tell her, give her vision. Give her vision. Because that's the problem is her routine has been upset. Her norm has been upset. And so to get her out of focusing on her current situation, she's got to paint a new picture for her. She's got to start seeing things differently. She's got to see that daddy's going to be okay in a few weeks. She's got to see that there's fun things that they can do right now between the time that daddy has surgery and the time that he gets well. And so, guys, you and I, we've got to paint that vision. The Bible says without vision, the people perish. Or without vision, the people cast off restraint. Another, uh, another translation says the people run wild. Guys, if we don't know who we are, then we're going to try to become something that God has already made us. Identity in Christ, it's like that is the root Righteousness is the root and holiness and good works and all of these things. That's the fruit. So we've got to understand that that is who we are. It's not what we're trying to do. And I was born again at a really young age, but I don't know, maybe like you guys, we just knew that Christians sinned. We're born again, but Christians sin. I mean, come on, everybody sins. We can't live perfect. We can't live holy. We're not always going to do things right. So guess what I did? I sinned. And I sinned really, really good. Anybody else sin really, really good? 
because I didn't know that I had been given a new nature. And when God comes to live inside of us, we don't have two natures. We have a brand new nature. It's created after the image of God. Now we have the flesh and we have an unrenewed mind. And the more that we renew our mind, the more that we will live out this new nature in our lives. Amen. So we have become a new creation and we need to identify that with that, not just learn about it, not just know that it's something, but identify with that. This is who I am. Um, Ephesians 4.24 says, we have been created in true righteousness and holiness. It's not something that we're going to have someday when we get to heaven. It's who we are right now. 1 Corinthians 5.17, I'm sorry, 6.17 says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. One spirit, H-E-I-S, one spirit. It's not like God has a spirit and we have a spirit and we're just in there somewhere. No, we have been joined together with Christ. We are one spirit with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Like I said, your spirit is never going to be more holy or more righteous. That is the real you. And we are learning to Believe that and live that out. And if you don't believe that, you cannot live that out. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If I believe that I'm just an old sinner, I'm just going to sin. If I believe that I can't live holy, I'm not going to live holy. If I believe that God's not happy with me, if he's not pleased with me, then I'm never going to have the confidence to live the way that we've been talking, that we are, guys, we are called to be ambassadors. We are called to bring this gospel, to extend God's kingdom in this earth. And there's been situations that I've been in that Scott and I have just gotten out of an argument. We just got into a fight and I acted like a turkey. That's a good, you know, and then I walk into a situation and somebody needs prayer. And if I didn't know that I am okay with God and it's not me, it's Christ living in me, then I'm not going to have the confidence that if I pray for this person, they're going to get healed. Do you see how important it is to understand that God sees you in Christ? Now, I'm not saying he doesn't see see our sin. I'm not saying that he doesn't try to, uh, he doesn't try to bring us up to a new level and tell us to take off the old man and put on the new. We're going to talk about those things, but I'm just saying that that is how God sees you. You are okay with God, right? Amen. Am I driving this home too much? Okay. So guys, we, as he is, 1 John 4, 17, write that down. As he is right now, as Jesus is, so are we where? In this world, not what we're going to be, as he is, so are we in this world. That's powerful. Colossians 2.9, one more scripture and we'll move on. It says that Jesus was God in bodily form, and in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. And we, you, are complete in him. You're not trying to become complete. You're going to grow in that. You're going to grow in your understanding of righteousness. You're going to grow in your works of righteousness but you're not going to be any more complete in him. Amen. Okay, so the second thing was, why does God want righteousness from us? So guys, God imparted his righteousness to us, right? We just 
We just saw that. God imparted his righteousness to us. Um, in Hebrews 1, 8, it says, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So the scepter of the king was a symbol of a king's royal authority. And when he extended his scepter, you were able to come into his presence. Well, if his scepter is a scepter of righteousness, and he has given us that righteousness, we are able to come into his presence. Guys, God wants to be with us. He wants unbroken fellowship with you and I. He doesn't want us whimpering up to him like a dog that's been beat all the time. He wants us to come up to him as, as, his fa as our father. He is our father and he loves us. Um, when we are righteous, when we have put on this righteousness, God wants to take care of us. Amen? He wants to take care of our lives. Um, if, if God is our king and we are right with him, it says in Romans 8, 31, what shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who shall be against us? God who spared not his only son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with us freely give us all things? Guys, he gave us the very best. Yes. He is going to give you and I everything we need to fulfill our purpose on this earth. In fact, he already has. We're just discovering it. Amen. Um, Luke 12, 30, 32 says, Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm sorry. I keep moving over because I have an echo right here. Guys, God wants us to live out this righteousness, right? He wants us to put on our new nature. Um, when we were born again, he not only put his very nature in us, he put his potential. God's potential is on the inside of you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I had mentioned it before, but Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You cannot continually do what you don't believe you are. You may do it for a little while, but as soon as you slip up, you're going to fall back into who you were, if you don't renew your mind to, that's not who we, that's not who I am. One of the greatest turning points in us raising our children, we have four children, two of them were raised under the law, like under the law. I was so legalistic every time they messed up. You can't do that. You can't, you know. And I really thought that God was mad at them, that God was angry at them, that God was mad at me because I was letting them act up. When I began to understand how much God loves us and who he's made us to be, we started telling them every time they messed up, we'd say, that's not who you are. Now, it's not that we didn't bring correction. We brought correction because sin has wages. A man, sin still has consequences. So we'd say, now you have made this action and you have made us bring this upon you. You made the choice. Guys, we have that choice too. But that is not who you are. That is not who you are. And so, like, if you're looking at a toddler, I know you guys have small children, but when they're learning to walk and they fall and, they're, you know, they're learning, they, they take one step, they take two steps, we don't say, get up. You should be walking by now. Even if they're late, we don't put that demand on them. What do we do? We praise them. We say, you were created for this. You were created to walk. 
We don't say, oh, you just can't walk. You keep falling. It just must not be in you to walk. No, that's in their DNA. That is hardwired into them. Guys, God hardwired righteousness into you. He hardwired that character into you. So when you and I mess up, we need to tell ourselves, that's not who I am. I lost my temper, but that's not who I am. When God came in, in me, all the fruits of the Spirit came in me too. I have love. You have love. You have joy. You have peace. You have long-suffering. We don't need to be praying, God, just help me to be long-suffering. No, you need to just be long-suffering because that's who you are. You say, God, I thank you that long-suffering is in, on the inside of me. And I thank you. And you just begin to confess it and walk it out. That's who I am. It's in me. It's a lot easier to release something that you are than try to obtain something that you are not. Does that make sense? Okay, we got to move on. Okay, so it says in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, and Pastor Josh talked about this last week, that we are to put off our, our it says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, and that we put on the new man. So guys, we have a righteousness between us and God, but the world can't see that righteousness. If the world could see that righteousness, then we'd all be persecuted. And the Bible says that only those who live godly are persecuted. Amen. So you and I, God's given us the choice to put on righteousness, to put on holiness. Our, we're not saved by our works, but we're saved unto good works. And when we put on that righteousness, that's for the world to see that we have been given a power to live above sin, that we have been given this new nature, that we we are different than the world. Amen? We're supposed to act differently. We're supposed to put on that new man. Philemon 1.6 says, The communication of your faith becomes effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. In other words, our expression, the way that we live out our faith, it becomes effective when we begin to acknowledge every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we're going to live that out. God desires us to walk in our identity, the dominion he has given us in his name. Amen. So talking about that, we're going to talk about Christian real quick. Where did the word Christian came from? In Acts eleven twenty six, it says, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Christian was actually an insult. It was a derogatory term that they called the disciples, and it was little Christ. They looked like little Christ, so they called them Christians. So, and I, man, I just thank Pastor Tondry and his support and everything, and he was, send, he was sending me his notes, and, you know, one of the things he said is, are we wearing that to where the, the world sees us differently? And I was thinking about that, and like, if, if, I had, if I said to you guys, Martin Luther, most of you would think the Reformation. If I were to tell you guys, um, Martin Luther King Jr., you would think what? Civil rights. If I were to say Michael Jordan. Basketball. Basketball. <laughs> but if I were to say to you, Christian, 
See, guys, Christian was a derogatory term by the world because they look like a little Christ. But now Christian is all sorts of things. And Pastor Tondra, I talked about that. You know, everybody identifies themselves as a Christian. And they may not even believe in God. They may believe there's a million ways to God. They just think Christian's just, I go to church or whatever. No, Christian, guys, we need to bring back that word. Bring back what that really means. What does little Christ mean? Jesus said that he only said what the Father says, and he only did what, the father, what he saw the Father do. So if we're going to be little Christ, then we need to say what God says, the Word of God, and we need to do what God says to do. We need to be imitators of God like little children. We are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example. Amen? Um, I, I wish I would have wrote it down, but I was reading and studying all this, uh, some, uh, the woke movement. They said, we do not hate all Christians. We only hate the ones that believe the Bible is how we're supposed to live. I mean, guys, that's what the world thinks. But you and I, we are sent to make a difference. And, and I so appreciate this whole kingdom teaching because when, I, when Pastor Tondra I had asked me to do this um, and I was studying, I actually got a text from someone that said, don't forget where we're headed. And I said, or she said, don't forget where we're going. And I said, where are we going? She said, to heaven. <laughs> and I'm like... Okay, that's what we're trying to, we are not just saved so that you and I can escape. We are saved to make a difference. The king, God, who is our father, created us in his image and gave us his identity and his purpose and his dominion and his authority so that we could replicate him, so we could take dominion over this earth. And so, so many Christians, we just think, oh, if we could just get to heaven. Jesus prayed in his priestly prayer before he went to the cross, Father, I'm not praying that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That is awesome to think that Jesus prayed for us, because it goes on to say, I'm not just praying for these, but everyone who will believe in their word. He said, I'm praying that you not take them out of the world, but that you save them for the evil, from the evil one. Just like that, we have to have faith. You and I are preserved from the evil one. Yeah. Amen? So, the benefits of righteousness. Why live a righteous life? And I'm going to kind of skip over this, and we're just going to look at two other concepts really, really quickly. But guys, you can be righteous, and you can think like the world, you can speak like the world, and you can act like the world, and you will get the world results. Amen. Need a bigger amen than that, because the only way you and I are going to conform in, on the outward to everything God has for us and all that he wants us to be is if we begin to think like the word, speak like the word, and act like the word. Because if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. There's spiritual kingdom or there's kingdom laws that work regardless of if we obey them or not. I mean, they're going to work for your favor. You get to cooperate with them or they'll work against you. And so we want to cooperate with God's laws. 
And I love what Pastor Sarah said. You know, Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law, but God's law, the way that he designed this whole universe to work, it still works. There's a, there's a law of sowing and reaping. You reap to the, or you sow to the flesh, you're going to, of the flesh, reap corruption. Amen. So we want to sow righteousness. We want to sow seeds of righteousness so that we will reap a harvest of what the word says that we can have. Just because you're righteous and you've got all these promises. I, I was telling Scott, it's like if somebody left you a brand new truck, I don't know, maybe you don't like trucks, but let's say someone left you a, a brand new truck out in, the, out in the shop and they passed away. They said, this is yours. You don't have anything to do to deserve it. You don't have to earn it. It's yours. But guess what? You have to have keys. You got to have a key or a push button or a fob to start that truck. And you got to know how to get in that truck and drive that truck for it to have any benefit to you. So all the promises of God are yes and amen, but there's keys to the kingdom. And we have been given those keys. Oh, Pastor Josh. Listen, we're just going. So we have been given all these things. But we have to learn how to operate in those things for them to be a benefit in our lives. Amen. Amen. So that is the, one of the benefits of righteousness. And I said I kind of wanted to skip over that. Um, do a study on the life of the righteous. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The seed of the righteous is blessed. The Lord hears the prayer of the righteous. The righteous may fall, but he will get up. Amen. The, uh, there's so many promises in the word of God for us as the righteous people of God. But in this whole concept of what we've been talking about, about Jesus coming and restoring everything to us in the kingdom that was lost at the fall, he has restored fellowship. He has restored peace with God. He has restored our identity. He has restored our purpose. He has restored all of these things. We have peace with God. We have purpose. We have identity. We have potential. And so in all of that, it says, what are, what are the characteristics of a righteous person? Well, the first one would be love. If we are to look like Jesus in the world, Jesus is God and God is love. First John 4, 8 says, he who does not love does not know God for God is love. So that is our, that is who we are. We have been made in his image and we are, we have been made to love. First John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. If we don't understand how much we have been loved, we cannot give away something that we don't have. Amen. And so this story of redemption, it's the greatest love story that has ever been told. Guys, we can't get away in all of this learning that we're learning about the kingdom. We cannot get away from the love of the Father. Because if you look in Ephesians, it says, Ephesians 1, it tells us that God foreordained us before the creation of the world to be adopted as his, at his family. And Pastor Ken talked about that. God wanted a family, but he didn't want servants, so he gave us a free will. And in his foreknowledge, he knew that we would mess up. And before he created this whole world, he had you and I as the object of his love. Wow. 
You and I were the focus of his love. And before he created this world, Jesus said, I will go. Jesus was not plan B. He was the, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. See, we have this systematic theology where we think, oh, God created us, and then we messed up, and then he had to go plan B, and there's Jesus, and oh, Jesus had to, you know, and God's the bad guy, and Jesus is the good guy. No, 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 no. They said, let us make man in our image. And Jesus, before they created everything, said, I'll go. He was the, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we could be adopted into his family. Yes. And in Matthew, when Jesus is saying he's separating the sheep from the goats, he says, Enter, well, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into this kingdom that was created for you before, before the foundation of the world. This kingdom that you and I are living out, this kingdom that we're learning to walk out and move in, it was created for us. Before the foundation of the world, it's not about us getting to heaven. It's about us releasing heaven on earth. And real quickly, I got two minutes, two minutes, okay, because I will not go over your time. Listen, so the characteristics of a righteous person, we are love. We're going to receive that love, learn about the love of God so that we can be love. And listen, it looks like raining, The characteristics of a righteous person looks like reigning in life. God wants us to reign. Write this down, Romans 5, 17. If by one man's offense, meaning Adam, death reigned, so the entire race was impacted by Adam's sin, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign by the one man, Jesus Christ. Guys, If righteousness is reigning, if we're reigning, sin is not reigning over me. If we're reigning, sickness is not reigning over me. Death is not reigning over me. Depression is not reigning over me. Broken relationships are not reigning over me. We got to learn that there is an abundance of grace. There is a supply coming from heaven to us for everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything that we need. So one minute. Galatians 4.1, the heir, the heir, are we heirs? As long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Guys, you can have all of this, but if you don't understand what you have, it will not profit us. So we got to understand we have been destined to reign in life. We have been given authority to speak to the mountain. Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24, it, it, What I'm trying to say, and I'm going to give you some scriptures, it doesn't look like a life of passivity. It doesn't look like whatever will be, will be. It doesn't look like God's sovereign and in his sovereignty, whatever will be, will be. No, it looks like reigning. It looks like changing our circumstances, changing the situation. We've been given the name of Jesus. We've been given all the promises of God. We've been given authority to speak the word of God into situations. And everywhere we go, it's not like secular and Christian, like Pastor Josh is anointed here and Pastor... uh, Tondurai and Pastor Ashley, and that, you know, if we can't do that, then, then we're just not as called. No, everywhere we go, when you become born again, every place you go, you have the opportunity to bring the kingdom. And we bring the kingdom by yielding to the king, by yielding to his word. 
Everything you do is sacred now. Everything. When I sit down and read with my grandbaby, that's sacred. That is a worship unto God. I am imparting the kingdom to her. I'm telling her, this is who you are. This is how God sees you. Everything that you do is now sacred. It's not, well, if I don't, I don't fit on the praise team and I don't fit in kids' church and I, I can usher. <laughs> no, everything you do, everywhere you go, your job, your relationships, everywhere you go is sacred. It now belongs to the king. And guys, when we're in this world, it can really look like that it's hard to, to believe that we're citizens of a kingdom that has all of this. But whatever is on our mind, whatever we focus on, that's the kingdom that we are going to yield to. So we got to focus on God's kingdom, who we've been made in Christ, what we've been given in Christ, how much God loves us, who he's made us to be, and that we've been given all authority and power. All authority and power. I'm going to leave you with one more thing. I promise. Just like I said, when a toddler is beginning to walk and they fall, we don't say, you weren't created for that. No, we say, get up and go again. Guys, when we're in the kingdom and we're speaking to the mountains and it doesn't look like it's, it's obeying us, when we're praying for the sick and it looks like they're not getting healed, we don't just throw this away. Because it's hardwired into you, just like that toddler, it's hardwired into them to walk, no matter how many times they fall. It's hardwired into you to see the manifestations. Just keep doing it. Just keep getting back up. Keep speaking to the mountain. Keep praying for the sick. Keep commanding. Keep walking out your righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm done. Thank you, Pastor Tondrai. Thank you, Dana, for that. That was pretty awesome. Um, all right, we're going to continue on, and this is the final session um, of our class. I hope you guys have been having a wonderful time, and I hope something has been stirred in you to not stop here but go in further study on the kingdom of God. I, it, again, as I, I think I've said this before, it's no accident that we're doing Kingdom Manifesto in church and we've got the Kingdom class happening here. And really, I don't know about you, but when I've listened to the teaching after class, it's like, oh yeah, that's it. That makes total sense. Because the two, obviously we're still talking about the Kingdom, but there's certain components that you're getting in this class that would make it easier for you to understand what's going on when we're talking about Kingdom Manifesto. And Really, 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 really happy that you guys decided to be a part of this. So we're going to move on to session eight, which is going to be talking about your purpose and priority in the kingdom. So there's a realization that we must have as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that is we must realize that when God created us, he created us for his own good pleasure, out of his own good pleasure. Um, but to continue on, on, on this earth, we must have a sense of, of, of meaning and, 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 and reason. Like, why am I here? Why am I existing on this earth? There has to be a sense of meaning or reason. Because if there isn't, it's when we become easily open to manipulation. Easily open to be swayed by different doctrines and different understanding. If you don't have a sense of meaning and reason for existing on this earth, somebody else will put it into your mind for you 
and try and manipulate why you were here or screw it up so bad that you think that you are insignificant even though you were created by a god who is so significant that he does not create insignificant things but if you exist on this earth with that mindset that i don't have a, a reason or a, 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 a meaning to be on this earth, then it opens us up. So Dr. Monroe, Dr. Miles Monroe, who we're getting most of our curriculum from, once said this, when the purpose of a thing is not known or understood, abuse is inevitable. When the purpose of a thing is not known or understood, then abuse is inevitable. So you were created for a purpose. And for us to understand why you would be created for a purpose, we have to look at who the creator is. For us to understand anything that is manufactured or that is created or made, you go to the creator and they tell you that. And so whenever you buy your fancy gadgets and all that, there usually comes a little book. Now they just give you a QR code and say go online, right? But they usually give you a book and then that book is instructions on why the thing was created. That book has has come from the mind of the creator to instruct you on how this device that you have purchased, how it is meant to be used. So the reason we can see that we were created for a purpose is we can just go look at the creator who created us so we can understand him. So by understanding his nature, by understanding the nature of the king, we begin to realize that it was his good pleasure to create us, that his nature, his way, who he is, would also begin to flow through us. Because what he created was was not dolls. He didn't create dolls that he could brush their hair and that he could look at them and say, oh, you're pretty today and change our clothes and you know treat us like the, my daughter's Barbies. That was not the reason why he created us. But he created us and he says, let us make men in our what? In our own image. Which means that his character, his way, his being would actually be a part that flows to us. So the creator says... That we're going to create man in our own image. But who is he? So he's a God who's not bound by time and space. So he knows from the end, from the beginning. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is everywhere. As much as he is here in this class, he's also in service. As much as it is he's in service, he's also in kids. Because he's not bound by space. So that means we have the potential in that to be able to do what God wants us to do because we have access to him who knows all things and is not bound by time. So that means he can set me up and say, hey, Tondra, I have an end that I see, an end that I want you to exist in. And so he can set me up right from here and direct me to that particular end because, again, he's not bound by time. He's self-existing and self-sufficient. He really does not need anything for him to be. He is God, and God is actually not his name. It is his nature okay so when we say god we're thinking that it's his name so i used to get offended when people would say god god or the small g this is god that god that god i'd be like offended but that god is talking about his nature because he is elohim he is el shaddai those are the names that we give to him and we give him those names because we have seen his being manifest in us, manifest in our eyes. So you see him heal, you say, Jehovah Rapha, 
the God who heals. You call him that because he expressed himself by giving or allowing healing to take place. And so then you call him that. Does that make sense? So all the names that we give him actually an expression of who he is. Right. That is why even if you if you, you should study that na- the name Yahweh, the, the Hebrews would not be able, the Jews would not be able to just say Yahweh. They're going to just do it. You know how we just say God, 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 this, God, Father, God, this, God, that. And now some people use it as a curse word to say, you know, God expellative. Right. But the Jews knew how sacred that name is. That's why when Moses asks him, who shall I say sent me? He said, what? I am. Okay, so I want you to see that God is not his name. It is, it, 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 it is not the description of his being, his nature, and his character. All things are created by him in heaven and earth, invisible or visible. Everything is created by him. He desires that we would have an occupation here in our dominion. So I don't want to preempt this because this is where it, can get, it gets exciting for me. Um, okay, I'm going to preempt it. I'm going to preempt it. Okay. All right. So, the king of Portugal. I'm going to put Portugal here. I hope I spelled that right. If I didn't, look it up in the dictionary. Okay. So, the king of Portugal had a son. And the son said, I want to be king. So the son said, I want to be king. And the king said, oh, son, you cannot be king because I'm still living. But when I die, then you will be king. And the son said, no, I want to be king right now. While you're living, I want to be king. Well, obviously, the king is not going to step down from his throne of Portugal and give it to the son. So what do the Portuguese do? They invade Brazil. And they send the son to Brazil. And so then the son became king in Brazil. Are you following? If, you, if you've been doing kingdom, all your brain should start looking. Oh, I start, I'm starting to see it. It is good that I leave. Right? It's good that I leave because if I'm here, the Holy Spirit would not be here. Who is going to help you on how to function as a king? Why? This whole thing here belongs to the king of Portugal. That includes Brazil. Because Brazil is a Portuguese territory. The king of Portugal is the one in charge of Brazil. But while the king is in Portugal, the son can be king in Brazil. When the king comes to Brazil, the son is no longer king, he's prince. You see that? The son's no longer the king because the king is here. He's the king in all that land. He owns it all. But this territory has been given to the son. This earth has been given to the son. Heaven 
is his throne. That's where he is. So when you say your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you're speaking in your realm as earth to say your authority that is in the same as Portugal. I want it to be the same here in Brazil. And here you are as the son have been given stewardship over Brazil and you exercise your kingship in your realm. When the son also goes to Portugal, the son no longer becomes king. The son is now prince. So wherever the king is, the son cannot assume kingship, right? And this is the designation that we give God. He is king of? Oh, you didn't say that with confidence. But he's king of kings. And so you are given this here so that you can be king just like the father is king in Portugal. So too the son can be king in Brazil. So by understanding how God governs here, I will know how to govern here. By understanding who God is here, I understand how I can be king in Brazil. And that's why it's important for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one then who connects and says, okay, I'm going to teach you the ways of your father. I'm going to teach you how he does things. I'm going to teach you his nature. I'm going to teach you how he moves. I'm going to teach you how he sees things. I'm going to teach you his desires so that you can be a good king in your domain that he has given you. And so that's what God desires for us. And so, again, remember what I said. This whole thing here is really owned by the king of Portugal. He's the one who owns everything, right? The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay? So that means he has everything. He owns everything. He owns a camel on a thousand hills. He created. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. That's what the Bible tells us. And so when you come into kingship, when you come into kingship, there's a difference between ownership and stewardship. In a democracy, in our nation here, we define our successes by the things that we own. Right? So we go and say, who's the richest person in the world? And we start looking at the things that they own. Right? Now, interesting enough, in, in, in for where I come from, when when uh, we this is how we judge wealth. Okay. I think it's very interesting. I hope you find it interesting too, but I think it is. At least when my mind started reasoning and realizing what was happening, I thought it was interesting. So, when someone passes away, this is how we judge whether somebody is wealthy or not. We stand, literally, and we count the number of cars that are at the funeral, and we count the number of people that are at the funeral. The more people that are at your funeral, the wealthier we consider you to be. So if there are four people at your funeral, you're poor. If there's a lot of people at your funeral, you're wealthy. So our Forbes <laughs> is based on how many people are actually going to be at your graveside when you die. And this is a thing, it's like a deep thing, because even when, when the powerful people, and I use the term powerful, political people died, they would get buses, okay, and pay people to come to the funeral so that in our eyes we can say, oh yeah, after all he was a good leader or he was rich. Because look at the number of people that are here because they would bus them in. And that's how we looked at wealth. 
Here, it's possession. Right? We talk about people with money and possession, and that's what we deem as wealth, as being rich. But in a kingdom, we actually own nothing. What we have is stewardship. So, I say that to free you from this, to define yourself, your successes, by the things that you are owning or by the ability for you to pay all your bills on time, every time. Think about it as, I am been given responsibility to steward the things that I have. The Bible says, it is the Lord, De De Deuteronomy 8.18, it is God who gives you the ability to gain wealth. And you're being given the ability to gain wealth in the earth that he says belongs to him. So I don't have ownership of this earth. It belongs to him. So when he apportions me, my portion, it is my job to steward it. We've been reading Matthew 6, 25 and 23. And we talk about um, the things that man has need of. And we'll get to that. The things that man has need of. You know, not to worry about it. But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things are added unto us. Psalm 23 is key to understanding the things that we need and how God allows us to be effective stewards and what he does. Because here's the thing about it. I'm not a good steward of my own. Again, the Holy Spirit, the governor, comes and teaches me how to steward the things that God has blessed me with. So, in Psalm 23, I'm not going to go to it. Hopefully, you'll get a chance to do that. So, he, it, it says that he makes us lie in green pastures. It doesn't say he gives me green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He owns the land. He owns the nations. He owns the earth. And he knows where the green pasture is. I think I know where the green pasture is, but I really don't because sheep don't know where the green pasture really is. And so he has to sometimes make us. So when doors are not opening and you're busy cursing Satan, and because you don't understand the king sometimes is trying to keep you from going down a particular path because you do not know that you're missing out on the green pasture that you have access to. So he has to make us lie down in the green pastures because we can miss it. And the next thing that he says is that he guides us. He guides us. Right? He guides us. He refreshes us. And the reason why he does this, if you read Psalm 23, it says, for his name's sake. So he's making me lie down in green pastures. He's guiding me. He refreshes my soul and my spirit. And the reason he's doing this is not for you to enjoy it, but for his name's sake. Why? Because he wants to be a good king. The way you judge the success of the king in a kingdom is how well the citizens of that kingdom are doing. A good king has good citizens that are being taken care of. Kings would 
amass land and territory in order to gain wealth so that they're seen as being wealthy kings. But how they express that wealth is not just by showing it, but by giving it off to the citizens. Because the citizens would recognize that it is the king who has the ability to give them that wealth. I, I think this is fascinating. This is fascinating. So I'm here to steward that which he has given me because I exist in his kingdom. So when we're talking about stewardship now, that means we're not just stewarding land. We're not just stewarding the house that you possess or your car. You're also stewarding the gift, the call, the purpose that God has put in you. That's what you're stewarding. So if you have this gift, remember that parable? I have the gift and I go, ah, you know, I'm going to dig it down into the ground because, uh, yeah, I mean, God, you can do everything you want. You know, whether I preach a gospel or not, people are going to get saved because, God, you can. So you really don't need me. So you really don't need my gift. You really don't need my call. You really don't need anything that has to do with the purpose that is inside of me. So I'm just going to hide it. I'm not going to worry about it. When we do that, we lose the power of life. Because what God attaches his power to is for his purpose and his will to prevail. And when you start walking in the call that God has given you, when you start saying, King, this is what you want me, this is my assignment, what he does is he sends his authority and power with you to accomplish whatever it is that he has set you out to do. So we miss out. So here I am, just living life. Not worried about my gift, not worried about my call or my purpose, not worried about my reason for existence. And then I get sick. And after I get sick, what am I doing? Oh, king, I'm sick. You know, the Bible says that you heal the sick. So here I am, I'm sick. The reason sometimes we don't get healed is because we're not about the duty of the king. She said it, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When we are not in right standing with the king and we try to call on the king and the things that he has set out for us, the reason sometimes we miss it is because we're so far away from the king. We have to come to ourselves and realize I am not where I need to be. Like the prodigal son began to eat the pods of the pigs because he had stopped living as a citizen of the kingdom. And when he came to himself, what did he realize? Even the servants in my father's house have it better than I am having it right now. And then he goes back to his father. The father opens his arms and receives him because the son was lost and he's returned. And now, because the son is back in the house, back in the kingdom, the son now has access to all the things that are of the father's, including healing. I don't know if you've watched the movies or even you have said it yourself because I know I have. God, if you just do it for me this time, I promise I'll be different. I, I promise I will live for you and I would. And, and what happened after that? 
You see what I'm saying? God is good. God will grant you things and that you ask for of him. But for you to experience all that he has for you, and we're going to talk about this in a second, you've got to have access to the king in his kingdom. And you've got to understand that you have that access. It's like Dana said, you've got the car, but it ain't good without the keys. Okay? So we've got to find meaning and purpose in our life. Know that in our sphere of influence, God has given us a dominion. And in that dominion, we can exercise kingship. Now, there's a danger here that exists, and I'm about to get this, to get to this, when we misplace the priorities. So I know I have dominion. I have dominion within the place that God has given me responsibility or God has given me authorship. I exercise my kingdom right in whatever dominion that God has given me, whether it's my work, whether it's school, wherever it is that I go, I am bringing with me the kingdom, and in that I can exercise dominion. But when our priorities are misplaced, there's a huge danger here because we must understand how to access the things that we so desire. It does not come from actually looking for these things, but it comes from prioritizing what God prioritizes. Okay. So there's this guy by the name of Maslow. Has anyone ever heard of Maslow? Okay. So he came up with this thing called a hierarchy of needs. Okay. Or, or the th pursuit or the priorities that man pursues or goes after. And so here they are. Okay. Water, food, clothes, housing, protection, security, preservation, self-actualization, and significance. Who wants and needs all those things? I'm right here, right? And so Maslow does the study of human beings and says, okay, this is what we need. So the world, the world system, teaches us how to access these things. It says, hey, if you want these things, this is what you got to do. If you do these things, then you will have access to these hierarchy of needs. Okay? Another thing that teaches us to go after these things is religion. Religion is there to say, if you follow the way of Buddha, it will teach you how to have peace, that you might have access to these. And guess what? Christianity. They also try and teach us on how to follow God so that we might have access to these things. Because if I lack water or food or clothes, come to God and God will provide these things for you. And so now we teach Christianity on how to unlock the key in order to access these things. Why? We want them. We need them. And so... The enemy places them as a carrot in front of us in order that we would get these things. But this is not what God asks us to prioritize. Okay? 
God's priority says what? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and will be added unto you. These are byproducts of your first priority. These are not the products that we seek. You don't seek these and get the kingdom. You get the kingdom first, then these happen. So, how? How? You know, Jesus does actually does not tell us just to have faith, just to get things. Faith functions so much better in the kingdom. Because whoever comes to God must first of all believe that he is and rewards. It doesn't say whoever comes to God must believe that God can do what he's going to do. But you have to believe first that he is God. That means you got to give him his position. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I give him his position. When I give him his position, then I ask for the daily bread. What's together? Okay. I first of all believe that he is God. And after I believe that he is God, I also believe that he rewards. So, he says, seek. That's the first thing. What is to seek? Study. Right? One of the things that you got to do when you're seeking is to study. Because if you don't study, how are you going to know or have any understanding of the kingdom if you don't study the kingdom? To seek also means to pursue. That means I'm going after something. I'm going after the kingdom. That's what I'm doing when I'm seeking. To seek also means to explore. I'm going to explore. What do you mean about this whole kingdom stuff? How does it work? What is going on that I might see, that I might have a grasp on what the kingdom is? To seek is to understand. To seek is to learn. To seek is to consider. Okay. And to seek, in order to be successful in all this, you have to be diligent. And you have to be consumed. In order for you to be successful in study, in pursuit, exploration, to understand, to learn, and consider, you have to be diligent.
You have to be consumed by it. Because if you say and ask me to study and I read one page of a topic and that's it. Or I come to Sunday services and that's it. I am not diligent and neither am I consumed. If I can turn on and off being a child of God or being a citizen, like I'm in a citizen when I'm here at church and I behave Christian, we all good, yay. Praise the Lord. Monday comes and I am different. I'm not consumed. If I'm consumed, that means I want to know. I want to understand how things work. And this is how faith works. When I seek the kingdom and I understand and I study, my study will tell me what the word says. Okay, so this blank space is the word. My study will tell me what the word says. That is, for example, it is the Lord who gives me the ability to gain wealth. So now I know, okay, my ability to gain something comes from my king. And I begin to rely on my king. That then gives me access to these things. So to seek the kingdom means I've got to explore and understand how the kingdom functions, what the kingdom culture is, what the kingdom constitution says about getting these things. So if I don't understand what the kingdom says, if I don't understand how the kingdom works, I can break my back trying to get these things. There are people who work extremely hard physically yet make far less than people who work less time. Why? You know what they lack? Understanding. People in times past used to die of things that today we say, oh, that's simple. Just take this medication or just have this procedure and people don't die. Like birth, at birth, People used, kids, people used to die while giving birth a lot because there was no understanding. And so what happened was people began to seek to gain understanding. Once they got understanding, now there's less deaths at birth because they have understanding. Are you seeing how this works? Right now, right, he says, do not worry about these. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of these. So don't worry about it. So when I'm sitting there and I'm worried, the reason I'm worried is because I don't have the kingdom understanding of how to access these things. When I have kingdom understanding, I won't worry because I know how to access them and it is just up to me to do what I understand the kingdom teaches in order for me to access. When you worry, it's because you have a lack of understanding. You have not learned. You have not considered. You have not explored. You have not pursued. You don't have study. And so because of that, these things become a concern. I have a concern with my brother. My brother and I are not getting along. The kingdom has an understanding on how to deal with that. 
But the reason I will worry, the reason I will struggle, the reason I will keep, ah, this is tough, what, what, is because I lack the understanding. But when I go to the king and I read the constitution and I realize that, hey, listen, I need to go make it right with my brother. As far as it is up to me, I'm going to make it right. Then I go to my brother and I try and I do everything that I can. And when God says, listen, I've seen what you have done. I've seen what you're trying to do. At this point, don't overexert yourself. Now go give your gift at the altar. I see cease to worry because I know I'm following the directive of the kingdom. So seek ye first the kingdom is to do all these things. And seek first. That's the priority. You want these? Figure out how it works in the kingdom and you will get these. We struggle a lot with significance. Am I significant? I don't have influence. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows my worth. But when I come here, I find that I'm a royal priesthood. What? Me? I'm royal? Yes. I find that I, I have an expression of God that is built in me that nobody else on this earth has. I find that I am needed. There's something that God put in me that the world needs. Now I'm significant. But when I seek significance without seeking the kingdom, we run into very wealthy people who are depressed. Very wealthy people who live a life that is actually not significant. Because the world will tell us how to become significant and the way the world tells us how to become significant is actually an antithesis to what significance is. The world will tell you how to get water. The world will tell you how to get food, how to get clothes. But I'm saying you belong to a kingdom that tells you how it is done. Seek first that understanding and see how that can translate your life, how that can change. We have keys to accessing these things. Daniel, I need you. One last time. You and me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 19. Bring your Bible. This is your swan song right here. You have to be in the last class because unfortunately, guys, our classes last week... They didn't record them. So I had to redo them. So it's now me, not him. And so I'm sad about that. But I still need your voice in this class. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19. Verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to you, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven.
keys. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and I will give you the keys. Keys is a very powerful thing. Yeah. If I want to get into my house, my house, and I have not the keys, I cannot get in. I mean, I can break windows, but that's just dumb, right? But it's mine. And you didn't know this, but you were just laying it up for me. You were just putting it up. What's that? When, is it an alley-oop? What is it? When, when the player throws the ball and then somebody else comes in and, yeah. You're just doing that and like, okay, Pastor Tom, right? Come in and dunk this thing. So I'm about to dunk this thing, okay? And you talked about a car and you said, this car is yours brand new. It's a truck. Oh, my gosh. It's the one you've wanted. It's yours. But no key. What good is the truck? It's as if I don't have a truck, even though I have one. But because I lack keys, it's just as good as though I do not have it. So God has given us access to the kingdom. But he says, no, you, you got to have keys to unlock doors to get you to the place that you want. The key is the power. That small thing can give me access to this big building. By putting in the code or the fob, you called it. Thank you, because I had no idea what I was going to call it. But putting in a fob or whatever it is that you do gives you access to a massive warehouse, a massive building by just having a small thing. And so he's saying, upon this truth that you have confessed that he is the Christ, I am going to give you Keys and these keys are not to unlock just it is to unlock the kingdom. Here is what I'm asking. I'm asking for us to become healthy that we just not only pray and say, God, my bills, I don't know what to do with my bills. I it's just been ah uh, God, man, I'm just struggling. Lust every time. I just is God, sickness, my parents, ah, uh, God, my relationship. I'm saying you've been given keys to say, I speak to Oklahoma City, the principalities that are governing Oklahoma City, I have the key to start praying that there's a shift in the atmosphere I speak to the United States of America that I'm saying that the principalities you don't have authority and I'm using my key to say you don't have authority anymore we speak against you you will not be able to prosper in this land but the enemy has us so grounded in our own personal struggles that we are not soldiering the real battle because we don't have the keys. And that and then he says what? Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you loose on earth. He's not talking about my meal for lunch. He's not talking about the shoes that I wear. He's not talking about breakfast. He is talking about nations. He's talking about nations. Because we've talked about this. We've talked about colonization. We are supposed to be set on a path of colonization that we would turn people into the kingdom of God by seeing how attractive and how beautiful it is, how amazing our God is. Then I'm using my keys. When was the last time? Let's talk about this. When was the last time you prayed for the president you hate or you don't like? 
When was the last time you actually went on your knees and you prayed with a sense of God, here's my key. And I want to use my key that you would bless his mind, that you would bless his health, that you would give him directive, that you would show him the way of truth, that you would give him his revelation, that you would understand that he is your child, that he is your creation, that you have called him to be your, your child. When was the last time? When was the last time we prayed for the president? We do like, instead of just saying, oh my gosh, he's great, he's fantastic, he's awesome. And when you see him going off on the wrong path, you're not willing to get on your knees and say, God, I'm using my keys that I would pray for my president who is amazing and awesome but right now I see that things are not going exactly that way. I pray that you give him wisdom that he has understanding for this nation that he has understanding on how things to function. I'm using my keys. When was the last time you prayed for the pastor to say God I know this church is supposed to go somewhere that you have a purpose. I'm using my keys and I'm praying for the pastor and I'm saying Lord give him directive. Give him understanding that he would walk only in the ways that you have called. I'm using my keys. But when I'm just praying for these things, it's because I am in worry and I have not sought the biblical principle on how to get these things. I'm going to pose a challenge for you on the last day of class. That your prayer life begins to change. That the majority of the things you pray for should not be on this list. The majority of the things you pray for should not be on this list. Now, you can be fancy, and you can pray for me for these things. Okay? That's okay. You can pray for your neighbor. You can pray for your neighbor. Pray for your friend. Pray for your family. That they would have access to these things by knowing this. That, hey, may they know who you are, Lord. That they know that you have access to these things. Listen to me, saints. When we die, we take nothing with us. So at the end of the day, man, I know that we can have a bill that we cannot pay or debt or the wrong decisions that we made. But I'm here to tell you that no weapon formed against you is able to destroy you. So if it's not, push on on the kingdom. Push on on the things of heaven. And while you're busy fighting kingdom wars, God is fighting on your behalf. And these things begin to align. That's what seeking first the kingdom means. It's not just, I want water, so because I want water, I'm going to pray that I get water. Do you understand? That's religion. I want food, so I'm going to pray that I get food. That's religion, because people will then pray. I'm telling you, I come from a nation of people who pray. And yet to this day, they struggle to get food. We have all night prayer. People will spend the whole night in church praying for food, praying for clothing, praying for housing. Because that's stuck in religion. Nobody's willing to say, okay, now that I've prayed, what does the Bible actually say? And then you will find that there are principles that are listed in there. Give. Oh, but those people, they pray. But when you say, hey, I need you to come over and help me with this, they ain't coming. They're not going to be there. They're not going to give of themselves because they see themselves as lacking these things. 
so they're not going to give off themselves. They're praying. But the Bible says, one man withholds and loses, yet another man gives freely and gains even more. It's a biblical principle. You know what I did? I'll tell my story. I'm going to end with my story. Okay, so I finished the message. I'm just telling you my story. So I'm taking your time because I'm telling you my story. Okay? So, 2010, very difficult year for me. My car was repossessed and I was evicted. And I had nowhere to go. And there was two months left on my visa for me to actually be legally here in this country. I was in a very difficult spot. Bad decisions, misunderstanding always lead to that kind of situation. And I remember I went and ministered at a church once, and they gave me $20, love offering. Thank you. My rent was 300 and some odd dollars, and I have 20. Okay? So God, what am I to do? So again, I go, read the Bible, and remember, okay, the Bible says what? Give. So $20 is not enough to pay my bill. So I can keep hold of it, right? And hope that the other 300 and some odd comes to me and then I can pay my bill. Or I can practice this principle and say, okay, since this is actually not enough for my rent, why don't I use it as seed? And then I said, who else can I bless? And I bless somebody else. In their eyes, they probably thought, man, you're doing great. You're actually giving me 20 bucks. My goodness, life should be great and awesome for you because you know what? You've got money to give. But the truth is I didn't. That was my last $20. I didn't have any money after that. Okay? Now, the story would go, and you would assume I'm about to say, and then somebody gave me a check for 400 No, then I got evicted. And then my car got repossessed. Okay. So you're here thinking, okay, so this thing doesn't work. Oh, does it not? Because... I then have a family that says, hey, you got nowhere to go. You can come live with us. Okay? So here's the thing. It's easy, right, to say, oh, the $20 is terrible. I don't have a house of my own. But I have housing now, even though it's not mine. But God's keeping me under with a roof on top of my head. These people were giving me this. They were also giving me that. And nobody had taken my clothes. I still had them. I had protection. I had security. I might have been struggling with these in my mind. But they were still mine. I never wanted to live under anybody's roof because I want to be self-sufficient. I want, it's, just, it's just about me. I want my freedom. I want to have my things. But he said stewardship, not ownership. So when they own a home, he does. So when he opens up a home of somebody else, that's his home. And he's putting me underneath it. My mind is judging myself by the standards of the world. That because I don't own it, I haven't been blessed. But there's somebody else who spent the night under a bridge that day. There's somebody else who got rained on that day because they didn't have a place to stay. There's somebody else who died that day 
So I could keep looking at this and saying, I'm terrible at life because somebody else has to give me water. But wouldn't it be silly if the prophet was mad that it was birds that was giving him water and food as opposed to the fact that he was actually getting food and water? 2013, I began to have my own business. 2013, I'm married. Now I have my own house. Now I have my own car. Now I have all these things. Did that $20 work? See, you, you, you would look at that. I'm holding back tears here, but you would look at that and you would say, this thing doesn't work. Why? Because the way the preacher told the story, he said when he gave $20, somebody from somewhere random came with a $1,000 check. That's what the preacher said. That's how his story came about. But the Bible doesn't say that. I'm not saying that he's not blessed of God that way. He is. But the Bible doesn't say when you give $20, you get 1000 The Bible says give and it will come back to you. Press down, shake it together. I'm not going to limit my $20 seed to 1000 Out of that $20, I'm now on a home. Out of that $20, I now have a car. Out of that $20, I now have a wife. Out of that $20, I have kids. So I'm not looking at the preacher's testimony. I have my own. What's going to be your testimony when you look at the principle of the kingdom and how he can give to you? That's the thing, because you've done so much. Look at you. Look at you right now in this room. I know you probably have struggles. I know you might have something going on, something that you don't like. But how are you doing here? Who did not have access to water yesterday? Who did not have access to food yesterday? Who doesn't have clothes in here? Who doesn't have housing in here? Who doesn't have protection? So this stuff is working but if you would switch your mind and see man i've stayed in some beautiful hotels don't have to own them because i'm a steward so i've had an experience that a man who makes billion dollars has even though he owns it i might i slept in it i have the experience what it feels like to be there i've driven a very expensive car that i cannot afford I know the experience. I've had it. That is stewardship. I don't care to own. Because that's what the problem with the rich man. He said, I want to own more. Give me more. He says, your life is required of you. Because if I buy all these expensive things and all I do is leave them behind at death, what good is it to me? Do you understand what I'm trying to teach you? That you have power and strength to have access to all the things that you need. Just understand how it works in the kingdom. And you will have it.